On this episode of the Thinking Leader podcast, we are looking at the wave of artificial intelligence-based technology. Is this the future iteration of education or the end of it as we know it? Welcome to the Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Welcome to this installment of the Thinking Leader podcast, the podcast that brings you amazing insights from the alternative world of red team thinking. That's right. The, the, the methodology that gives you the alternate view of what is possible within your brand and business. I'm James Burt. I'm the occasional, um, I guess, one part of the three-legged stool that is our little collective. Um, when, when, when Marcus and Bryce get really, really stuck, uh, they 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 draft me in and they're stuck. Yes, I like I like when they get stuck. Producer get, James. Oh yeah, producer James. I've I've been brought off the subs bench, uh, and today we're going to be talking about the very very interesting subject of what impact is artificial intelligence going to have on the education system. Now, for those of you who are listening, unless you've been under a rock, you'll be well aware that there's a little known app. Uh, called ChatGPT, which is the first ever platform to go from a standing start to a million users in five days. In technological history, no such uptake has ever happened before. And a lot of industries and businesses are up in arms. Uh, There's very much a a perceived threat in the marketplace. But actually, what we're going to be talking about today is that if you think about it in an alternative way, this could really be a massive opportunity. Uh, Marcus and Bryce are here to uh, have the debate with me. I don't know why I feel like I'm on like a BBC panel all of a sudden. I'm going to create sort of like, <laughs> a, like a blue versus red situation here. I've made you, it uncomfortable you to, for everybody. You need to be better dressed if this is going to be a BBC show. Uh, how dare you? How dare you? You've got very rude since enough. you've been in Storm Central. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so 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 let, let's let's discuss it. Artificial intelligence, the the biggest threat to education or the biggest opportunity if we choose to see it in that way. Well, I I think that. A lot of people are obviously seeing it as a threat. I mean, right now, as we speak, there's probably tens, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe millions by now of kids around the world that are using ChatGPT to do their homework. Uh, and there are a lot of teachers who who feel like this is the end, like there's no point in even doing homework anymore because, you know, kids are just going to go home and ask all the all ask ChatGPT to write their essays, to answer their math problems, to do whatever. But here's the thing, like all disruptive technologies, it really comes down to rethinking how to use these in a, in a productive and a constructive way. And I think that if teachers were to look at this through a different lens, they could see this as, as a real opportunity and, and credit where credit is due. My, my wife is a, is a former private tutor and she's the one who pointed this out to me, which is that if you, if you turn homework on its head. And what I mean by that, what she meant by that was instead of assigning kids to go home and write an essay or, 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 you know, you know, research a, a, write, write a research report, use 
the time at home to do the research, to do the learning, tell them to, you know, there's a, there's a tremendous positive here sitting with chat GPT, you know, kids can ask questions and have a, you, you know, it's a threaded conversation. It's like sitting with a private tutor that you can use to answer your questions, then come back into the classroom and use the time in the classroom to work together on solving problems, on applying the knowledge that they learned at home. Then there's, there's no way to cheat and you've actually increased the learning. Yeah, I think it's, it's a fascinating opportunity, isn't it? And when we talk about red team thinking, how it allows you to expose threats and identify opportunities. And if everybody's seeing this thing as a threat, then again, do the on the contrary, how can this be an opportunity and really consider what opportunities there are existing for you as a professional teacher of education? But also, what about the children? How is this going to be a real game changer for children? We all know they love playing on the phones, computer games. So why not make that part of the education system and use it as a force for good? And as Bryce talked about then, send these kids home with a challenge that they use this capability to come back with answers to learn as they're doing it. But then the conveyance of what they've learned happens in the classroom with the group. So they're learning how to convey, they're learning how to speak in front of people, they're learning how to do research rather than paraphrasing what they've seen and writing it down for the teacher to mark. And this to me comes really back to having a fundamental shift in how we educate our children today and how they can learn very differently. And they need to do that. We need children to continue being what I call the mini scientists. We all know that uh, up until the age of five, we're all the 55 wise kids, aren't we? Always asking questions, always probing. But the minute you step into the system, kindergarten, nursery, you're on the conformity conveyor belt. And we're taught to conform all the way through our lives from that point forward. There may be a little, little bit of freedom of thought in university where we have to go and do our own research. But in reality, we're there to check boxes, to jump through the hoops of education, to hit the right metrics, and then go out into the business world where that carries on. How could we change that so massively with this opportunity? Well, here's an example of how. And think about this. I'll pick something that, that is relevant to both sides of, of, of the Atlantic, at least in the English-speaking world. Let's say that you're a high school history teacher. You're, you're teaching a class on the War of 1812. Instead of standing up in front of the class for 45 minutes and lecturing your students about what happened in the War of 1812, you say, right, kids, tonight when you go home, read about research. Tell me your, your, your homework is to figure out what the War of 1812 is. Why did it happen? What were the causes and what were the outcomes? And come back tomorrow prepared to discuss. Then it doesn't matter if they use chat GPT. Right. In fact, it's probably great if they do. Yeah. It doesn't matter if they use Wikipedia. And then you come back in the next day and you're like, right, so who can tell me what were some of the causes of the War of 1812? Then your role as teacher, this is where it requires you to work more perhaps, but that's not a bad thing. Your role as teacher is to fact check them. If they've got bad information to say, well, actually, let's, let's look at that. Is that really true or something? But, but you're now having a discussion and this is more of a shift from the old rote learning that goes in one ear and out the other to adult learning, where they've now researched. It's going to stick with them a lot longer. Mm -hmm. And you have a discussion in class. Well, you know, the War of 1812 was, sorry, Marcus, started in, in part because the British Navy was, was stopping American ships and Shanghai sailors off and, and impressing them onto British warships. 
another sense as well. Actually, you know, the War of 1812 was started because Britain feared that the U.S. was encroaching on Canada. Now you have a healthy discussion. You've got kids who are teaching themselves, and your job as teacher becomes facilitating that discussion. Nothing is lost by using technology. A lot is gained. Huge and it's a lot of more of a productive use of your time at home and the time in the classroom. Kids are going to be excited. Kids are going to be, what have we been talking about, about clients in the workplace? We talked about it with Gartner, the lack of engagement. You're now engaging children. They're not being force-fed information. They're not being lectured from a, a professor at the front of the classroom or a teacher. They're not being talked at. As you said, they're engaging, they're collaborating, they're researching, they're coming back, they're arguing, they're debating. And they're going to have a lot of fun doing that. And the maximum learning is going to be far more effective by doing that in that environment than it is by the usual standard by rote that we talk about. Right. James, what do you think? It's going to change, isn't it, massively how yeah. people um, think potentially because you're now going to be looking at, you know, the education system becomes, if people choose to go down this rabbit hole, more focused on the causation of a situation rather than just the retention of information. How much cognitive space do kids have you know, when they're doing, and ironically, I'm not actually looking at chat GPT here. This is just my actual opinion. I find myself very intelligent just because chat GPT is sat there on my laptop. It's um, rubbing off on you, clearly. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's, the AI has got me. Maybe I'm a bot. Mm, there's a thought. Um, but, but how much, you know, realistically in 2023, when we're recording this episode, that's the first time I've said that on a podcast. That sounds weird as well. But how much with information infinite information at our fingertips how much do we really need to send children for in the uk from the age of five or four in some instances up to 18 to just sit and retain information because that's literally yeah. it surely the time is better spent actually teaching kids how to think how to debate how to get to the causation because like you mentioned there the the, the war of 1812 you know what was the facts are going to remain the facts off a page but the real opportunity like i say rather than the threat is to go well why did that happen what can mm -hmm. we learn from that the how do we ensure in 2023 that we don't have another situation like that how can you see can you see with empathy and with uh compassion for the other perspective why america thought that the british were doing this why did they utilize canada in the, the way they did in the pawn of that that overall war we become surely better human beings when we think about thinking rather than just focus on retaining. Right. And even, even the merest effort to find that information is becomes a useful life skill. Because if you can go home and figure out how to, how to figure out the causes of the war of 1812, you can go home and, you know, figure out why your business is losing market share in Southeast Asia. You know, it's the same skills are going to stick with Correct. you for life. And that's going to benefit you for both the reason you said, James, and the reason I said, is going to benefit you throughout your life in a way that simply knowing because you read in a textbook and a teacher told you that the War of 1812 was caused by three things. Unless you are a historian, that information is not going to make a tremendous difference in your life. But knowing how to look at things three-dimensionally from the point of view of different actors like you described and knowing how to research is stuff that's going to stand you in good stead your entire life. And so it's shifting from that model of education that is like putting coins in a piggy bank, you know, dropping them in there, you know, which, which except the piggy bank doesn't have a stopper at the bottom. So they just all roll out the bottom half the time. 
to actually making education more like going to the gym where you're exercising muscles, in this case, mental muscles, and you're building mass, mental mass. That's something that's a lot more powerful and a lot more valuable. But to do that, teachers are going to have to rethink their jobs. Schools are going to have to rethink their expectations. What I've described isn't going to work in an environment where all you're doing is teaching to a test, which is unfortunately, at least in the United States, the way that most public education works now. It's not about teaching kids. It's not about education. It's about achieving certain test scores so that your school district, your school, whatever, achieves a, a, a metric that's set by, by you know, the powers that be. And so we get the situation in a lot of places in the United States now where all the kids are doing is getting prepped for the standardized test. Yeah. And that's so, not education. So those who we started off with fearing this the most, the teachers, are also potentially the blockers and unlockers of this capability, aren't they? It rests I with love them. That. Even if the blockers system... and unlockers. Absolutely. Because as we know, if this is going to potentially create a bit of extra work to start with, because it's a mindset shift for how you do something that's been institutionalized. But once you get over that hurdle and do this thing differently, then you are really freewheeling down the other side of the hill because it is going to unlock a massive amount of capability within these children that is there. It's just not been unleashed enough. I don't think we give our kids the credit they have and the ability that they have because it's not unleashed. As you said, Bryce, they're just wheeled in, taught to jump through the hoops, tick the boxes and go out again. That's not even using 5% of their capability. It really isn't. We see what children can do when you unleash them. We see what they can do when you put them in small groups and let them collaborate together. Just by default, they do it so naturally. And if you can enable them with the technology and encourage that, you know, they don't often do it because they're going to get told off. Be quiet, Johnny, sit down, you know, stop talking so much. Rather than fostering a spirited environment where that's going to be the de rigueur, then I think that's a fantastic opportunity. So to me, it's a challenge out to the teachers and they can blame the system that's not allowing us to do this. That's nonsense. You can do this yourself in your classroom. You can start this change with your children tomorrow. You can start doing this and enable the curriculum to evolve and catch up because it will have to change. Just as we keep talking about in the workplace where we have to change our thinking. I just think in generally in society, we need to understand social decency. We need to understand the capability of collaborating far more effectively than we do from all ages. And I think this is a real huge opportunity that's really laid out on silverware before us to take advantage of. Well, it's an opportunity if people choose to see it in that way. We'll take a quick break and then after that, we'll come back and we'll have a look at what has to happen in order for us to take the first steps of institutional change because we're not talking about a small shift in just mindset, as you mentioned a minute ago, Marcus, you know, the only thing that's changed in a hundred years is frankly the, the color of the board at the front of the room. We've right. been, we, we have <laughs> a model, that. The, the, the model yep. that, that, that has works in the industrial age, but we've left that point a long, long time ago, but education hasn't changed in line with that. So join us after the break. Don't go anywhere. We'll discuss this in much more detail. Hey folks, Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to 
the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. Welcome back. Okay, James, I'm on a, I'm going to turn the tables on you because you posed a really interesting question before the break when you said, what has to change? I'm going to ask you, what do you think has to change for this new model of education to, to kind of take effect and, and be deployed? Well, I think, you know, from the conversation that we've already had, it's quite clear that the increasing presence of artificial intelligence in various fields is, is likely to have significant implications for education. It's just that simple. Um, th there's a few ways in which I think the education system is going to, will have to, or might change uh, as AI becomes more prevalent. Firstly, AI could be used by, to personalize learning, uh, by analyzing data on how individual students learn best. Uh, AI algorithms could actually help to tailor course materials and teach uh, an approach that best meets the needs of the student, not just the, the tick box exercise that we mentioned earlier. I think secondly, and quite obviously, AI could assist with grading and feedback. You know, does it need to be a, 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 t a teacher with a pen and paper giving ticks or crosses? It probably doesn't anymore. It could easily be used to grade assignments and provide feedback to students, free up instructors to focus on the more high-level tasks, which we talked about earlier, not just the, the retention of information, but actually how do these kids think. Um, makes sense. Th thirdly, uh, AI could you know, easily provide more flexible um, and accessible education. With the help of AI, it would be more possible to offer more flexible and customized learning experiences such as the ability to learn at one's own pace and take courses in line with how people best learn. You know, we often say in, in adults, you know, are you a night owl or a, or a morning person? We don't give the same opportunity to kids. You've got to be in the school gates at 8.30 and you get picked up at 3.30. James, I, I didn't realize you were such an expert on education. Well, look, at the end of the day, Bryce, I'm just, I'm just saying it as I see it. Um, for, uh, he was taking finally, notes as we just, spoke earlier. I'd just, I just like to just finally wrap up my points here because sure. ironically, I've already got four <laughs> points. Uh, AI, I think, could supplement human instruction. Hang on, what does this say? In some cases, AI, I think, could be used to provide additional support to students such as answering questions are offering explanations for complex concepts so it's important to note uh, according to this uh, that these and, changes and what will is this require. that you're reading so so for those who are not watching the video i have uh, i've got my laptop out i actually asked gpt in the break how should the education system change with the increase in artificial intelligence and it gave me this response in <coughs> nine seconds nine. But and, what a, and what a debate opportunity that has now created just to talk about those points Imagine a, a, a staff room full of teachers yeah, and you've just read those four things out and now put them all on the wall and go, right, let's discuss each of these points in turn. How can they help us? How can they make the learning opportunities for our children better? How long was that again? Nine seconds. Nine seconds, yeah. Boy, Marcus, you're so right. I mean, that's something that's really interesting. That's something businesses could do too, which is you, you, could, you could ask an AI, you could ask ChatGPT, what are, what are the five biggest threats to our you know, to the sneaker business in 2023, mm -hmm. to the trainer business in 2023. To ask, ask it that and see what it comes up with, James. I'm just curious. All right. The question has gone in. 
and it's, it's already right. It's difficult to predict with certainty what the biggest threats to the sneaker business will be in 2023 as the business landscape can change rapidly and unexpectedly. However, some potential threats that sneaker industry might face in the coming years include competition from other fashion companies. I mean, this thing is, if you're watching the video, you can see this is, this is writing it in real time. And right. this is, and and I've seen a lot of this kind of content coming out across sort of from various influencers and thought leaders and stuff. The The future arrived on the 13th of December when this went viral. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the what future, I wrote in, in my column for Forbes uh, a few days later. In, and, yeah. and, you know, and the thing is, is that what's important about this, what you've just done is not the explanation it gives, but to Marcus's point, don't, don't just say, Oh, we've now identified the five threats, but to, to use those as prompts to then have a discussion about what could, are these, to ask the question first, are these legitimate threats? Because maybe they're not, you know, it doesn't get it right 100% of the time. And then two, if we agree that they are legitimate threats, what are we going to do about it? That is something that every business could be doing right now. You don't yeah. need to be a multinational corporation with your own machine learning department. You could be a, a, a business, a, a mom and pop store. And you could use chat GPT to ask what are going to be the biggest changes in, in, you know, convenience stores in the next three years and have a discussion like that. There's, this is an, this is an amazing democratization of technology that's occurred here where you now have the most amazing game changing revolutionary technology that, that a year ago, was something that was only available to the top research institutions, companies like Google and Microsoft. You've got it at your fingertips right now. And it's free. It's so free. why wouldn't you use it? Why wouldn't you use it? The question is, how do you use it smartly? And I think Marcus's example is a great way to use it smartly. And I think the example that we've talked about, about education, rethinking education is another example of how you could use this smartly. There's a smart way to do this. And this is something that Marcus and I have been talking with our clients about for 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 years i know i've been talking with companies about this for at least five years the real potential with artificial intelligence is not replacing human decision making it's as a force multiplier for human decision making absolutely we, we talk about it's time to think differently you know apple talked about it in 97 think different 84 we talked about it 84 was it that long ago wow uh, you know, we keep talking about it to say, you know, we have to think differently. We need new ways of thinking. This tool is the perfect parallel to help you do that using technology. It helps to stimulate conversation. It helps you to get answers that you probably wouldn't have thought of, even with a huge group. And then it allows you to discuss, debate, have the discourse. And then from those discussions, think differently to make different decisions, to make better decisions, to engage everybody using these outputs, which come in, in seconds with quality content that provide you a foundation for quality discussion. That's what humans do best. I need to fact check myself. It was 1997, but it was think different, oh, not think differently because think Steve different. Jobs, exactly. That's why we Steve use Jobs think refused to accept, even though he was told this several times yep. that his statement was not grammatically correct. Correct. That's <laughs> why we use think differently. Exactly. Yeah, he just he did. He, he just refused. No, it's no, it's no. And, and you know this is something I I used to as as many of you may know, I used to be a, a tech reporter in Silicon Valley during this period, which is why I should have known that. Um, and at the time, you people should. used to famously say that Steve had a reality distortion field yeah, surrounded very, him. Yeah, 
that was the phrase that people used. And he would just, he would just say, I refuse to accept your reality and I substitute my own. He wouldn't say that, but that's what he'd do. But to your point, to go back to your point, I know we sort of did it as a bit of a tongue in cheek exercise, but um, you know, what are the five biggest threats to the sneaker business in, in 2023 and looking at the, you know, not just what are the threats, but alternate ways to look at them. Point number three here, uh, no, sorry, point number two that it, it, it raised in nine seconds was the changes in consumer preferences. The sneaker industry is driven by consumer demand. And if consumer preferences change, it could impact the demand for certain types of sneakers. For example, if there is a shift towards more sustainable, environmentally friendly products, oh my it God. could affect the demand for sneakers made with certain materials. How many, and again, to your point then, Bryce, how many mom and pop stores are having conversations at that deeper level? They're probably just not. You know, how many people who, you know, again, whether it be a a, a Nike at one end of the scale or someone Mm -hmm. who flips sneakers, uh, you know, on Amazon or eBay, these considerations are equally valuable for both sets of people. You know, for someone who who wants to be a thought leader in the sneaker space, you know, now do, do you do you write a, an article based on what are the consumer trends likely to be in 2023? What yeah. is consumers looking for in terms of environmentally friendly products? What is the demand going to be? And not only can you make great content and position yourself as a thought leader first and foremost, but more importantly, you can actually now start to get ahead of those trends because you're actually thinking about it. Right. Like who's, who's really thinking about these things in Absolutely. small businesses? You know, I'm a small business owner. You guys are small business owners. How many times do we take the opportunity? Well, maybe you guys do because you teach it to, to clients. You probably sip some of your own Kool-Aid. That's fine. But as a small business owner, I don't take much time to think about what are the threats for the BBC and content creation. But actually, it's going to affect me just as much as them in the way that mm-hmm. this decentralized world is now coming right. about. Exactly. And that's the thing is that, again, I I go back to what I said, you have technology that is, that is something that, that literally just a year or two ago was the purview of only the largest corporations, the biggest governments, you've got it for free at your fingertips. Think, I mean, the equivalent of that is like, you know, you're, you're, you're a, a, a tiny Latin American country and your military was just given a thousand ICBMs, you know, I mean, it, 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 it's that level of force multiplier if you choose to use it. Mm. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's that level of, of, of scaling up in terms of ability. And, you know, and again, as I said in my Forbes column last December, this is just the beginning. We're, we're, we're only, we're only a few months into this now. Where are we going to be in a year? Because a, the whole reason why OpenAI has made ChatGPT available is so that can, they can continue to learn for how people use it and refine it. So it's getting smarter and better every day. But there's so, also other AIs that are getting smarter and better every day. There's people all over the world looking at this business model, thinking, how can we monetize this? How can we make a unique AI offering that we could charge a little bit of money for that does something else? And I guarantee you, a year from now, chat GPT is going to look primitive. Mm-hmm. I think the pace of change will absolutely rocket this. So we talked about teachers being the blockers and unlockers of this, but as we've been talking, I've been thinking deeper. Where does education actually begin? The children. In the home with the mum and dad. In the home. Parents. And we've seen a distinct lack of active engagement by parents over the last 
decade and more, who themselves have become strapped to their phones, strapped to their technology, palming off children with iPads for quiet time rather than education time. So this is a real opportunity to use that technology that now exists to engage your children and use these platforms, these iPads, these phones as a force for good, a force for coupling together parent and child activity and learning. And as you said, James, it starts in the home. So when the kids do get to school, they're already, if, and if the teachers aren't doing it, the kids are challenging the teachers to use it. And you're going to have some five-year-olds showing up and <laughs> outsmarting a teacher with what they've learned on ChatBT with their mum and dad the day before. So there's a real opportunity here, I think, for parents to really capitalize on what's now about to become a new way of learning. But parents, to do that, have to understand what this technology can do for their kids, too. And, and, and they should. I mean, as a parent, it's incumbent on you to do this. And if you're not doing it, then you're not, you're not doing your job as a parent. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think back to my own, my own childhood and... I, you know, I had, I, I'm, I'm a child of the eighties. I had a, I had a personal computer, a beautiful Atari 400. With a oh, I knew you were going to say an Atari. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. It's a Commodore 64 or an Atari. He's an Atari man. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, I, I'd had it for a couple of years and I wasn't, I wasn't doing my homework and at school because I wasn't being challenged. And, you know, my homework from school in those days, I remember my history homework was word searches and I just absolutely refused to do it. I was in high school and I turned in a blank, a blank homework one day to my teacher. And she said, she said, you didn't even try to do your homework. And I said, I learned how to do word searches when I was in kindergarten. Yeah. I, and she's like, well, you have to do this. And I'm, this isn't helping me learn American history at all. And so my, 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 my mom took away my computer to punish me for, for, for doing a lousy job at school. And shortly after that, I met one of the, most revolutionary education thinkers in history who happened to live nearby. And I was, I was friends with his son, uh, Herb Cole, who's written scores of books on education, founder of the open classroom movement. Um, and, and just an amazing person became my first mentor, helped me become a writer. And when my mom came to pick him up, pick me up from his house, the first time I went over there to, to, to meet with him, first thing he said to her was, why'd you take his computer away? And she said, well, because he's not doing his homework, you know, stuff. And, you know, he's like taking the computer away is the solution. Make him do something with his computer. Mm-hmm. And instead of taking it away, give him it. And, and he gave me, he told her, he said, tell him to write a, a program on his computer, a tic-tac-toe program that the computer can't lose. That's what he told her. And, and, and make that the punishment. And then the, his point was, is now, instead of this being a negative, instead of me being distracted from my homework because I was playing video games on my computer, now I had to use that technology to, to enable myself to think more deeply, think critically, to develop a whole new skill set. It was tough. I did it. It took me forever because I hadn't programmed before. And in those days, you had to, yeah. to, to, to program directly into the computer memory and stuff. And writing code on an Atari chip, like, touch-sensitive keyboard was a pain in the ass but it was an incredible lesson. And his whole point was the knee-jerk reaction of parents is to say, oh, take that iPhone away, take that. Think about how you can use that to help your child learn more, be a better student rather than, than just a punitive action. 
Absolutely. We have to be willing then to, as parents, to put our own ease at the back of the queue. Because quite frankly, and, and, and I can say this, I'm at sort of a different time of life on the sort of the, the cycle from you, from, from yourself, Mark, as a, as a dad, you know, I know you've got adult kids or much older kids. I've got a five and two. So I, I don't really rate the education system because again, mm-hmm. it's just churning out little worker drones. You know, yep. does, does my kid need to go to school between nine and three to yeah you know socialization and all that kind of stuff but with the 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 technology that's coming in and the ability for us to not just like again as we mentioned before drum in retention of information but actually let's talk about the causation of information like what not just what do you know how do you know it how does that make you feel because as he's learning it and he's having to explain it to me from a neurological levels of learning perspective he's retaining the information much more deeply anyway because he's actually Mm -hmm. having to think but hold my hands up here, I run a business. So it's actually really useful that somebody babysits my kid from nine to three. It sounds awful. Do I think it's the best thing for him long-term? Probably not. But but other than taking him to a, you know, a hippy-dippy Montessori school or a forest school, there isn't any in between. Do you think this technology is going to be that, the instigator of finding that in between where you, you really don't need to go and sit staring at the wall for, you know, six hours a day because you can do it more easily from home or. Is well, it goes back to what Marcus thinking? said about teachers. It's they're the, they're there. They, it's a choice. They're either the blockers of this or the enablers of this. Mm. And every yeah. teacher in the world right now has a, has a, has a, has a decision to make. Do they want to, to, to leverage this, to help become better teachers and help their students learn better and become better adults. Or do they want to to do the least work possible, punch their time clock, take their pay, and look forward to those those? Uh, as one of my college professors said to me when I asked him what what the best thing about being a teacher was, he said, "Bryce, it's not one thing; it's four things." And I was like, "Oh, what what are they?" He said, "It's it's June, July, August, and December." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that's a choice. It's a choice teachers have to make every yeah. single one. So late starts and early finish. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Great place to end today's episode, I think. Uh, A lot to think about. Uh, Whether you are in one of those big institutions thinking, how do you take the first steps towards institutional change? Uh, Or whether you're a parent listening to this, or whether you're looking at this from the perspective of how could you utilize this wave of technology, which you are not going to stop. This is a tsunami of change, which is already building up momentum, is built up ahead of steam. Um, trying to get rid of this is like trying to throw buckets of water out of the already sinking ship. Go along with it. Don't try and fight against it because it's a war that you cannot win. But um, I, I, I guess what would be your what would be your tip for anyone who's in those those camps? The parent, the teacher, the big organisation that sees this wave of change coming. What is the first step of of taking this? In, in the right way and using it for good and coming to it from that glass half full mentality of the power of change it could provide rather than the fear don't of change. Don't push back against it. Don't try yeah. to stop it. Don't try to, don't try to cut it off. Don't pull the plug. Try to figure out how to use it. Yeah. And I'd say for parents, use your screen time for good, block out the apps that the kids don't need. Keep this one open and engage with your children together. Whatever age they are, set themselves a fun, challenging question Use the tool and then go through it together and engage your child in good conversation 
and just see what they're capable of because they will blow you away. Amazing stuff. Fantastic episode. If you've enjoyed listening to this show and you want more information about the subjects that we've covered today, there'll be links and more information within the show notes. Click that whether you're listening to this podcast or you're watching on YouTube, there'll be links in the show description as well. From myself, occasional co-presenter and always producer James Burt, uh, from Bryce and from Marcus, thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of The Thinking Leader. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode. There, you'll also find a link to our free assessments. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.